I've always got my camera accessible. It's almost always on my outside of my backpack. Tripod's right there, ready to rock and roll. So um, yeah, if you, if you pack your camera way too far, you'll never take it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris. And today I've got my buddy Craig Temple on the podcast with me. How's it going, Craig? Yeah, it's going pretty good. Can't complain too much. Well, good, man. Thanks for joining us today. Um, so uh, Craig and I uh, have kind of got to know each other over uh, social media over the last year or two. And um, I, man, I'll tell you what, we started communicating back and forth just a little bit, and I don't even remember what started it. But uh, um, one day I specifically remember you... I, you said you asked me something like, how's your season going? And I was like, oh, man, it's going slow. How's yours going? <laughs> and Craig fires this string of photos to me that was like <laughs> huge whitetail, big bull moose, big bull elk, big bear. And I was like, holy smokes, man. And I mean, ever since then, I was like, I've got to pay attention to this Craig Temple, dude. Um, and at, it, it's funny because at the time, I don't think that. I even realized that you were a big Hoyt guy when we started communicating. And, you know, since that time, I've realized that you are a big Hoyt guy and you are from Alberta, Canada, right? You betcha. You betcha. Up here in Alberta, eh? You betcha, eh? Um, yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, looking at some of your stuff, I'm like a little bit jealous. Um, thinking, holy smokes. Well, when things get bad enough here in the U.S., maybe it's Canada that I need to look to. Yeah. But uh, you guys, you you guys have some opportunity up there for sure as a resident, don't you? Yeah, we've got crazy opportunity up here. Basically, like every year, you can get. Uh, well, I'm I live actually just outside the Edmonton Bow Zone. Yeah. Um, so here, there's a Strathcona whitetail deer tag. So you can buy, you can get a whitetail buck tag there, and then you can get a general whitetail buck tag, which basically all over Alberta. Then you can get a general moose tag like over the counter every year. There's only certain zones where I live is actually a zone that you can bow hunt them every single year. Um, It's just tough getting private permission, right? Most of it's tied up in acreages and stuff. Um, And then you can get elk license and you can get a mule deer license and you can get, I think, two bear licenses and you can buy an over-the-counter bighorn sheep tag and antelope is a tough one um i think it's like for an arch i just pulled an archery tag this year i think it was 11 year wait for an archery tag um, for antelope and then it's about 10 to 12 years for a rifle tag as well and i did one of those i think three years ago something like that so but yeah no there's lots of opportunity up here well it looks like you killed a a stud antelope this year um yeah how big is that 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 thing I don't know exactly. Um, like, like I said, I haven't shot a lot of them. That's actually my first archery antelope. Um, Dad and I passed up a lot of antelope in the leading up to that, and then we decoyed that one in. And it just, I don't know, decoying him's a blast. And uh, he charged into thirty yards and smoked him frontal shot, and he went about forty yards and piled up. So that was yeah. a blast. I think he's low to mid seventies. Is what he's going to go. You certainly don't have to convince me on the decoy thing. I'm kind of a decoy geek. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> you're kind of biased. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. But, uh, um, man, it, it actually, I'm, I'm looking at Craig's Instagram page, and that goat looks like he's every bit, he, he's pushing 80 if he's not over 80. He's, he's a stud. Um, and that's one thing that I probably take for granted a little bit here in Colorado is we can antelope hunt 
every year, but mm-hmm. I actually half the time that I antelope hunt, I come home telling my wife next time I talk about going out the door to do that, you remind me how much <laughs> I hate them things. Like they are so frustrating. <laughs> um, oh yeah. Here in Colorado, yeah, we're, we're hunting them in, in August, usually, but you know, well oh, before okay. the rut before and yeah. it is, it, it's tough. It's, it's tough decoying. It's tough spot and stalking. Uh, they're, they're, they're just not doing much at that time. And, uh, from everything that I can tell, I've, I've tried to understand antelope psyche for a very long time. And I've come to the conclusion. There is no psyche. They're just, they're <laughs> freaks. You know, you never they know what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. You know? And, you know, it's funny that you say that with the caribou. Cause when I was hunting caribou up in the tundra, I looked around and I was like, man, it looks like I'm hunting antelope. Except it is terrible hard to walk anywhere up there in that tundra, you know, and uh, and it's really funny, too, because a couple of the first caribou bulls that I ever stalked on would all of a sudden just jump up for no reason and and run around like they're on fire. (laughs) You know what I mean? And uh, do you know why they do that, by the way? I think it's bugs. I think, it's I think it is too. Those are, yeah. is it bot flies that, that eat into their skin and leave those big holes in them? No, I don't know what it is, but it can't be comfy. All I know is I do the same thing up here with our mosquitoes. Sometimes I just have to run <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that, that's probably right. But it, it actually reminded me of antelope the way that they would just jump up and freak out all of a sudden for no yeah. reason. But um, so uh, tell me a little bit, about yourself uh did did you have you born and raised up in alberta yeah yeah so i was born uh i'm right by sherb park here um just east of edmonton uh born and raised on an acreage and my wife and i when we got married we moved into town we lived there for i think about three four years of our marriage and then we moved out here we're on an acreage about half hour east of uh of edmonton and we've got three little kiddos uh one just turned seven yesterday a daughter and then we've got a nine-year-old boy and an eleven-year-old girl. So, yeah, awesome. it's, uh, life's life's busy. Life's fun. Yeah. Well, uh, I hate to break it to you, but you aren't even to the expensive part yet. I know. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to figure out how to finance that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's awesome. Like, enjoy it because you blink yeah. your eyes. Everybody will tell you this. You blink your eyes, and all of a sudden they're twenty. Um, yeah. But it it's really cool too. So, do you, is the family involved in bow hunting too? Yeah, we, uh, I mean, the, the youngest one, she likes to come, dad, will you take me moose hunting? Will you take me moose hunting? I don't know if she's more interested in the snacks or the moose hunting, but uh, she's yeah. come with me a couple times. The youngest one has. Um, and then my boy, I think he was, I took him bear hunting, spot and stock bear hunting in the spring. And uh, we saw a bunch of bears. I think he was six years old. And then when he was seven, we shot a bear, uh, shot a bear with my bow. It was like, I think it was like, 18 yards or something on the ground spot and stock with a seven-year-old kid people thought it was crazy but um so we killed a bear doing that so that was a blast and then last year um my oldest daughter so she's she turned 11 um in the spring here so she was uh she was 10 i guess it would have been and she says dad i want to i want to i want to come 
whitetail hunting with you. It's like, oh, sweetie, it's it's cold, like real cold, like minus 20 yeah. Celsius, which I don't even know what that is down in their Yankee land. It's, <laughs> uh, it's cold, though. <laughs> it's cold, yeah. cold, right? Yeah. And so she she stuck with it and we stayed in tree stand and we did, I think we did 11, 11 sits before we had little whitetail come in. And um, I said, you want that one? And she goes, yeah, you should shoot that one. All right. So we shot that one and she was with me on that and had a blast. And We've called in moose and stuff like that together and she's pretty pumped uh for next year she'll be she'll be hunting next year so we'll have to get her have to get her a hoyt and get her all set up and get her shooting through the summer and all dialed in so uh, pretty next fall's project there's 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 <laughs> nothing like seeing your kids you know kind of grow into their own uh mm -hmm. in the sport like uh before we jumped online i was a few minutes make a few minutes late making it to the podcast because uh me and one of my sons are on a, a big deer. Uh, I had found him during antelope season. He's disappeared for uh, a month and a half now, or no, about a month. And he showed up last night. Uh, we found him while we were driving out of a place like, bam, there he is. Holy cow. And he's, he's big, you know, he's, he's big deer. And so my sons um, have a little competition now where they have a trophy uh, the big buck for the year trophy that they compete <laughs> with each other for uh, yearly, you know? And so uh, one of them is playing college football right now and can't hunt at all. And the other one came home for two weeks just so that he can hunt. And he's on this big deer right now, you know, and <laughs> we, were out, the trophy home. <laughs> we were out looking for him tonight and he, he never showed. We we don't know exactly where he is. We're hoping that he's in that same area or whatever. But you know, it's really cool. He's on uh, he's on fire for it. And uh, awesome. Uh, you know, they're old enough now to where you know, like this morning, I told him, I, I think you ought to go get in this tree stand that's close to where we saw him. And um, I'm going to go out and just glass around and see if I can turn him up anyplace else. And I wake up to head out the door and, and walk over to his room at like five 15 to w make sure that he's awake. Well, he's gone. He's already left. And, and, <laughs> you know, I'm like, Holy cow. I call him on the cell phone. I said, you got out early, huh? And I see, he said, yeah, I don't want to risk. I want to be in that tree stand in plenty of time. And I was like, you're going to be in there for like an hour before, you know, daylight, you know? And he was like, that's fine. That's fine. You know? So I'm getting like, that trophy. <laughs> yeah. Seeing them, seeing them kind of progress and, uh, and, awesome. and really catch fire for it is, is something that's really cool. And it, it sounds like you're kind of right at the beginning of that, you know? Yep. Very early stages. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really cool. So when did you start bow hunting? Uh, when I was 12. So here, yeah, when you're 12, you can start bow hunting. So dad, my dad's a, he started off rifle hunting and then my grandpa, um, did some bow hunting and my dad says, well, my boy can't rifle hunt until he's 14. So I should probably get into the bow hunting thing so we can hunt together. So he got into it a couple years before I did. And then when I was 12, uh, got into bow hunting first season. Um, I'll never forget went down, uh, way down South, uh, right up against the, uh, Montana border on the milk river. Oh, and yeah. lots of mule deer and stuff down there. And I remember standing right beside basically a big cottonwood tree. And uh, I had a, a muley doe tag. And so I could shoot a doe with my bow. I couldn't shoot a buck, but I could shoot a doe. And uh, so this buck and this doe come towards me and they're walking down this game trail. I'm standing beside this big tree and 
I'm like, well, geez, I know you can't draw when they're looking at you. So I'm like yeah. waiting, waiting. And they passed by me on the other side of the tree, like literally three feet away. Yeah. And uh, as soon as they passed by the tree, I tried to draw my bow and my dad's about 40 yards away watching. And uh, I couldn't get my bow drawn back. The adrenaline was so high. Yeah. So I struggled and struggled. I couldn't get my bow back. I had just let a deer walk away, right? So yeah. that was 12 years old. Uh, 13, I killed my first white-tailed doe and uh, I, was, I was hooked sitting on a stump in a snowy clearing Thanksgiving weekend. Actually, that would have been uh, the same weekend that just passed up here. It's Thanksgiving, October 10th, 12th and around there. Yeah. So 13 years old, sitting in a red rain suit on a stump in a snowy cut block and a white-tailed doe decided to come up on the far side of the clearing, run all the way across the 20 yards, stop, look back where she came from. So shot her in the lungs. Done. Do you, do you remember... <laughs> Do you remember kind of what you what kind of rig you were shooting back then? Oh, geez, I think that one was a, uh, I think that one was a, a Browning Micro Midas. Really, with East, really, with the Easton, yeah, with the Easton, uh, it would have been the, I think they were the Game Getter Twos, the nineteen sixteens, and yeah. a Thunderhead one hundred, and huh. uh, yeah, the good old True Fire release, and that's that's yeah, really four, cool, forty pounds. Yeah, that's. That's Way really back cool. in the day. my first, uh, my first, uh, bow kill was a, was a mule deer doe. And okay. I specific, you know, shooting big, heavy, uh, aluminum arrows. And, you know, I don't even remember what, which ones they were, whether they were 22, 18s or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, but I remember it, it, it flew through that deer so fast that, that I, I lost it. I didn't see it and it hit some rocks behind it and sparked. And, oh. you know, the broadhead sparked on the rocks. I saw it and I thought that I shot right over the top of her back and I was just super bummed, you know, watching her run away. And then all of a sudden she just starts stumbling and falls over, you know, she goes. <laughs> oh yeah. And I was like, holy cow, you know, like I, I still thought I'd missed her, you know, and, and didn't yeah. quite understand why she had fallen over like that. But, uh, you know, I realized it after a few minutes, but those, those first are, are really cool, man. They're, they're yeah. really cool. um, so, uh, you've been at it since you were 12 years old. And, and mm -hmm. so how long have you been affiliated with Hoyt now? And um, you're, you're a pro staffer for Hoyt, correct? Yeah. I think that's what they call it. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, I love the guys at Hoyt, the guys, all the guys are there. Are awesome. Honestly, long story. Um, long story short is, I've been shooting Hoyt, oh geez, it's probably somewhere around 15 to 17 years now. And uh, I sent them emails way back in the day, right? Way back in the day. Um, and they get massive amounts of emails. So whatever, you didn't get a reply back. And then after a few years of sending emails, um, I got a reply back and, uh, and then back and forth a little bit here and there. And uh, basically just built a relationship with them right with the guys there sure. and uh tried to figure out how i could bring value to them while building a relationship and uh one thing sort of led to another and and uh yeah i do do a bunch of photos for hoyt and uh the guys there are great they're not just another brand they're actually i consider them all friends of mine so right good crew. well so tell me a little <laughs> bit about higher ground media um and what higher ground media is we haven't ever really talked about this so i no. would like to know yeah 
So last, uh, I do, I've, I've been doing photos, basically just a sort of a hobby, right? Got into right. it, uh, probably like 2013, 2014, started taking some pictures and, uh, and connected with some guys at Sitka gear. And, uh, basically when you surround yourself with good people, you learn some good stuff. Um, and so really tried to pay attention to some really good photographers there and, and pick their brains. And they were kind enough to share info and stuff. So sort of self-taught, but also a lot of, uh, tips and tricks from from guys there um, and just basically doing photos for for myself for fun and then uh, and so last I think it was last year um, yeah, I think it was last year but a year I guess a year and a half ago whatever um, I started up a company called higher ground media um, to be honest at first the intention was to do hunting and basically outdoor photography full-time um, and then I realized um, the challenges and sacrifices there that I'd have to make and uh, realized that that would cut far, far too much into my family. And uh, I, I can't be on the road gone all the time. So um, at this stage in the game, I, I do run higher ground media and I, I do photos for a couple different brands. And uh, yeah, it's not a, a full time job. Uh, I'm a machinist by trade, actually. Okay. So that keeps me busy for 40 hours a week working for uh, control valves for the oil field. And, uh, but other than that, it's uh, as, as much as my wife will allow me, which it's crazy how much she lets me get out in the bush. It's yeah. Yeah. Anybody, anybody that's looking for a wife, find somebody that supports your passion and stands behind you and, and things will go well. Right. So when, when you're home, you got to prioritize them. Um, but, uh, definitely she's definitely stoked to see me stoked. So yeah, it's a good, good thing. Yeah. Well, it always helps when those kids get old enough to where they can start going with dad, you know, right. at least <laughs> he's like you the know, night off. <laughs> yeah. One or two of them or all of them or, or, or whatever the deal is, you know, it's, yeah. it's one thing when you got three little kiddos at home and you're like, honey, I'm leaving. I'll see you in a week. Um, yeah. And they're just like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, uh, uh, they're none too happy about that sometimes, but as soon yeah. as you get to the point where those kids are going with you sometimes and mm -hmm. takes a little pressure off of them and yeah, the breaks, kids are really enjoying it too, you know, that, that yeah. helps the, that helps the cause out a, a great deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. but so, so do you kind of specialize in kind of lifestyle type photography, uh, hunting yeah. action type photography or outdoor or, uh, uh, wildlife or what, what's your special? Um, most, mostly just basically hunting products being used. Right. Right. In so real scenarios rather than just going out and staging something, you plan a trip and, uh, and go, I'm actually going next week here. I'm going out and spend a week, hopefully kill an elk and a mule deer and take a bunch of pictures. And while I'm hunting and hopefully I can kill something and get some animals in the, uh, in the photos as well. But, uh, yeah, mostly, mostly just, I mean, lifestyle and also hunting, whatever, whatever I'm in the mood for that day, really. Sure. <laughs> well, as a kind of a wannabe photographer hack myself, um, eh, I, I used to put more effort into it than I do now. Um, yeah. and I guess it's, it's just cause it, there, if I could just go out there on day one and knock what I wanted yeah. to down and have yeah. four or five or six days to do photos, you know what I mean? It'd, what be, yeah. it'd be spectacular, but um, the biggest challenge about doing that and coming back with good stuff is taking the time off from hunting when you don't have that tag filled yet. And yeah. because you can't, 
really hunt and do that at the same time. A lot of people don't understand that. You can if you're following somebody. If you've got a photographer yeah. behind you, they yeah. can do some of that. But even, even in those scenarios, the photographer has to stop you and have you hold still at this angle for, you know, uh, a couple of minutes while they get what they need. And then yeah. you continue going on. And a lot of people don't realize that. Um, and if you're, if you're doing them yourself or, you know, with you and a buddy, a lot of times you just got to stop and you got to take the, you know, of course the time that you want to take off to do your photos is in the middle of the day when the sun right. is beating down from Ter right in the lighting. middle of the sky, <laughs> terrible lighting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's the best time to take off to do the photos hunting wise, but they're the worst photos that you can take. You really right. need those. Exactly. You need that golden light in the, the, at the perfect time of day when you should be concentrating on animals, you know, it's a, yeah, exactly. It's a serious conundrum. It's yeah, no, it's a challenge for sure. I mean, I, some trips I go on, I come home and I'm like, crap, I didn't even take my camera out of the bag. I was so focused on trying to kill what I wanted to kill, right? And that's um, what happens to but, me all the time now. But yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what so happens. That, that's, it's definitely a challenge. Um, I, I find that lots of times I'll take pictures in the morning or evening when the lighting is good. If, say, I don't know, the animals have moved out of the field and they're, okay, I got 10 minutes, right? right. Go for it and right. set up, take some pictures that I wanted to take. Um, or while I'm hunting, I'll pay attention to where I want to take pictures, um, depending like scenery type stuff or, uh, or if there's a certain ridge that I want to silhouette on or whatever, I'll, I'll pay attention to that. And then when I'm passing by there in prime time, it's like, okay, hurry up, get your picture, throw the camera back in the bag. Now it's time to go back into kill mode. So I've always got my camera accessible. It's almost always on my outside of my backpack tripods right there, ready to rock and roll. So, um, yeah, if you, if you pack your camera way too far, you'll never take it out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, along those lines, is there any particular gear that you really like to use as far as, as uh, some sort of camera bag or camera pack that you rig on the outside of your backpack or anything like that? No, or I just carry a stupid heavy backpack everywhere I go. So it's usually like 25 to 30 pounds, like even for just if I'm going out, say, just walking up into the hills close to uh, close to my truck for mule deer or for elk or whatever. Right. It's it's basically a 30, 30 plus pound backpack. Go up in there and you've got all your lenses and batteries and tripod and camera bodies and all that fun stuff. Inevitably, so. <clears throat> every, every time I'm out and it just happened two weeks ago during elk season, uh, one of the guys picked up my pack and said, what? Do you, what, are you, what have you got in there? <laughs> what have you got in there? Why do, Why are you carrying this around every day? It's because there's camera gear inside there. Mm -hmm. um, um, so as far as keeping your camera accessible, are you just putting it in the top of your pack or something? Um, uh, yes and no. I've got one of those uh, cotton carriers. Um, so I think Peak, Peak Designs makes one too. It's basically mounts right on the shoulder strap of your backpack. Okay. And it's just a, you basically just put your camera in, it slides in and it does a 90 degree rotation and it holds your camera in there. So nine times out of 10, my camera's right here on my shoulder, on my right shoulder. Um, I practiced with it and stuff. I can still draw back. I can still shoot with it on my right shoulder. Uh, the angle of the string from the corner of your mouth down to the bow on the left side. It doesn't interfere with that. So that's um, so the, still that's is a little bit the specialized but. gear that I was talking about. Right. Like yeah. you're talking yeah. about keeping your camera at the ready and right that's yeah. incredibly hard to do. 
So yeah. what what kind of what kind of camera case is that that you're talking about? You're talking about mounting it on your shoulder. So it's shoulder strap. yeah. It's basically just it's it's called cotton carrier, and okay. it's a, it wraps around your shoulder strap, and it's got a hard plastic, basically a groove and a slot in it. And then right. there's a special mount on the bottom of your camera. You just screw it on there, and it just slides in, and it does a 90 degree rotate, and that holds your camera. So you to hold your camera sideways, you slide it into the groove, and then point the lens down, and that keeps it in there. Um, so if I'm going on like a mountain trip, like uh, last year, I went to uh, Yukon and documented a sheep hunt, and it's yeah, that camera is there all the time. Because if you don't have your camera right there all the time, Won't you're gonna miss shots. So lots of times I even leave my camera is turned on, lens cap is off, it's ready to rock and roll. So literally it's just a matter of grab it, twist it, pop it up, put it up to my face and click, click, click. I can take pictures like within within two seconds. I can that's, take photos. That's a so terrific it needs idea. To be accessible. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a that's a terrific idea. It's something that I actually ought to look into because that's one of my big problems is that I've got the the camera in the pack and I've got to take my yeah. pack off in order yeah. to get at the camera and therefore it doesn't get used near as much as it should. Um, yeah. But you as a right-handed archer, if you've got it on your right shoulder, then the string yeah. isn't even close. Yeah, the it. string comes down. Yeah, no, no, right. it clears. Huh. Yeah, yeah, awesome. you wouldn't want it on your left shoulder. But well, no. yeah, it works pretty slick, depending on how big of a camera too, right? Because I carry, I carry, it's a full frame camera. And then depending what lens I've got on it, it's a heavy camera and it's heavy on the shoulder and stuff like that. But if you had a smaller camera, they make some really good, uh, some of the Sony stuff, I run Canon, but some of the Sony stuff, the mirrorless cameras and stuff, the bodies are a lot smaller um, than, than the Canon is. So it's uh, even less cumbersome. Right. Well, I've had a lot of buddies that have told me that I need to make the switch over, but it, it, that's a nightmare. As a photographer, if you've been a Canon guy yeah. for a long time, you've got all this Canon yeah. gear, and the yeah. thought I think of, you can get adapters, but the man, the price—if you're going to go to to native lenses, yikes! Jeez, oh, man, <laughs> lots can, of money. Can't even imagine, you know. Yeah, it'd be rebuilding from ground zero, and then having mm -hmm. to having to relearn everything, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. As far as op operation goes, so I'm kind of stuck with that bigger camera lens too. Um, it works though. Yeah, no, they, <laughs> they're super cool. I'm, I'm still shooting a, uh, a cropped sensor, um, and not a full frame sensor, but, uh, yeah. I've had a lot of guys tell me that I need to change that. And I probably do, you know? Yeah, but, it does make, yeah. it does make a big difference. If you're blowing your prints up fairly big, it makes a big difference, but I switched over a few years ago and it was, it was a good choice, but it is a lot more expensive and the file sizes are a lot bigger, but if you're looking for quality, it's uh, it's the next step a guy has to take. That and good lenses. Well, sorry everybody if we dove down the rabbit hole on on uh, on photography <laughs> just a little bit, but you obviously got a couple of photography geeks, and there are a lot of guys in that are interested in it. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> along those lines, um, well, do you have any tips for? Uh, let's just say let's start with kill photos. Um, you're basic top three things that you would tell guys to do uh when it comes to kill photos in your opinion um yeah what just There's... give them some tips on how to get good looking stuff because really mm -hmm. when the hunt's done unless you're going to have that animal mounted or something like that those photos are what you have to remember that hunt by and um yeah. a, a lot of guys are always looking for tips on that 
Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, that's the, unless you're getting it mounted, it's like you have the antlers and you put the antlers, depending on how your house is, it goes in a basement or it goes in the garage or whatever. Yeah. And then say you go out for a social dinner and you tell somebody the story and they're like, oh, let me see this thing. And then you pull out your camera and you don't want to be embarrassed and show them something laying beside the gut pile or blood all over the place, right? You want to show them a good photo that's that's I don't know, worthy of showing, right? And not embarrassing and not turning off people from uh, from hunting itself. So I don't know, there's a couple of things that I've noticed that, um, and I'm not knocking people because di- different people have different um, expectations or, or desires of what kind of photos they want from the animals, but um, wipe the wipe the blood off their, off their mouth, right? Um, blood off their mouth or um, depending sometimes they have stomach stuff come up out of their mouth as well right so wipe that stuff off almost everybody has a water bottle in their backpack and toilet paper get your uh, toilet paper wet and wipe off their nose a little bit clean them up a little bit Um, ideally I've um, got I've got a tip to throw in right here yeah give it so this is something that I've learned over the years but a lot of times, if you've made a good shot and you're du- you've double lunged an animal, you've got blood coming up through everywhere. The, the, yeah, through through the uh, 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 windpipe and out the nostrils and the mouth and everything else. Yeah. So one thing that I do after I have an animal on the ground is I take that tongue that always wants to flop out of the yeah, yeah. side, cut the tongue off, get rid of it, <laughs> and then take your toilet paper or your paper towels and you wad up a big ball of it. And you shove it down his throat. Oh, okay. And that blocks everything as from coming far, out. As far as you can. And then the, yeah. the jaw still closes normally, but it blocks all that blood from coming up so that once you wipe it all off and you put his nose back on the ground, there's not more that comes pouring it's out. not pouring out. Yeah. Yeah. So hey, that's, anyway. a good, that's a good job. I'm going to carry an extra roll of, I'm going to carry an extra roll of toilet paper on my next trip with me and I'm going to label it Danny. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you yeah. haven't done it before, you'll, you'll appreciate that next yeah, time you good, have a double long good idea. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good idea. Um, yeah. So, I mean, cleaning up blood is one thing, uh, when you shoot them behind the shoulder, lots of times there is a lot of blood, right. Um, even on their side, um, ideally it, it helps, um, place the bow right in front of that. And it yep. still, it takes down a little bit from the attention grabbing to it. People can see bloody, but it's not uh, wide open, right? right. Um, and then if you're, depending how fussy you want to be, honestly, for my photos, I will set up a tripod, I'll set up the camera and with the built-in timer or an intervalometer, uh, which is basically a timer uh, that yeah. you plug into the camera, um, I'll set the camera to say, take a photo every two seconds and I'll just say, go take a photo every two seconds. So I'll, it'll start, I'll focus it, right? Get everything focused on the animal. Usually, I don't know, for any camera geeks that are interested, put for gripping grins, put it up around the aperture, up around like F4, F4.5, anything lower. Um, how yeah, deep do we want to go down a rabbit hole here? With yeah, well, F-stop? there's, there's some go, guys that will understand that, you know, yeah. the, the, so if you go, the if you field go F- is important. Yeah. So if you go with your aperture, which is like your f-stop, if you go up to, uh, if you go down to like f2.8, it's a really shallow depth of field. So it's a really creative shot. So you can have, say, uh, just compare on your kitchen table, you got a salt and pepper shaker on your table and you put one three inches away. If you have f2.8 focused on the front salt and pepper shaker, that one's in focus. The one behind it is blurred. So your, your, your depth is very shallow and only a certain portion of your image is going to be clear. So if you focus that on the deer's head, you're going to be all blurry and it's right. not going to look very good. So you want to bring it up into the, around the F four and a half, F five, somewhere around there. And that allows enough of the photo to be in focus 
that you're clear as well as the animal's clear. So set that up, take a picture every two seconds, and then I get into the frame and basically just start playing around with the way that you're rotating his head and where you're holding his hand. Lots of times I'll hook my fingers up underneath, the, right underneath the middle jaw, um, and that avoids your hand from covering his snout or pulling his ear off or anything. Get a hand up underneath there. Rest his rest his jaw on your on your leg if you need to on a boot or whatever. Uh, get down low. Don't stand up over top of the animal. Don't even get up on your knees. Squat down. Sit down on your butt if you can. I know it's uncomfortable at times, but um, do that and sort of get in with the animal. The one thing that sort of drives and it drives me nuts is when guys reach their arm way out, right? Yeah, I'm not yep. a big fan of that. I try to get as close to the animal as I can, um, even put an arm up on top of the animal's shoulder um, to show that, hey, I'm not like, <laughs> I'm not in Saskatchewan taking a photo in Alberta, right? Like we're, right, right. I'm with the animal, right? So um, yeah, so there's that kind of stuff. And then just play around with different angles with the head and stuff. And then when you go back to review photos, you'll be starting to flip through and you'll be like, hey, that's a really good angle. I like that angle. Or you couldn't see all the tines with the one before. So if you're only taking one shot, the time might be hidden or it's in line with a tree or whatnot. So a couple of, couple of things there. Do you have any particular height that you like to have your camera at? Um, for, for gripping grins, usually, I don't know, it would probably be uh, 18, 18 inches, 24 inches off the ground, somewhere in around there. Maybe so close, close to eye level of the animal. Yeah. Close to eye level. Of the animal would be about right. Yeah. If you go too low, um, if you go too low, it, it looks, people can tell that you set your cell phone on the ground right. and took a picture up, right? If you have it too high and you can see the shadow of the other person that's uh, all over you and the deer, then it looks goofy and you can tell what they're holding for the camera and stuff like that. Um, ideally, don't get the shadow. Shadows, lighting is everything with photography. So right. you don't want shadows from your tripod and your camera on the deer's face because you're going to get home and be like, oh crap, how do I, you can't edit out a tripod and right. camera shadow, right? Uh, but about yeah about about head height of the deer um yeah. when they're laying there deer moose elk whatever you're whatever you're shooting well and um you know it's funny because the it, like these newer iphones like the 12 and now the 13 mm -hmm. coming out these are really good cameras on there and i've always Absolutely. been one of these nazis that whether i'm guiding or whether it's my animal i'm pulling that dslr out and i'm taking photos however I'm starting to see some really good photos that are coming from cell phones. And Absolutely. one of these days we need to have a podcast where we lay out some good tips for people that are trying to take them with their cell phones because right. the cameras on there are capable. Of they're it. incredible. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're capable of it. Now the only place that you're, you might be weak is if you're trying to use fill flash and, you know, bright sunny days or something like that, because they just yeah. don't have uh, the flash power to do something like that, but yeah. they are capable of a lot. They're, they're well, yeah. capable of, of a ton. And, and yeah. to tell you the, to be quite honest, if somebody asked me for a list of tips on how to take uh, trophy photos with a cell camera, I couldn't even give that because I've hardly done, right. you know what I mean? Selfies. Selfies. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> dude. Just turn around, smile, get your big face in the photo. Now, um, but there, there's, there's probably a, a lot of guys out there that would uh, like to know, um, how, you know, how to set up to be able to do it with their cell phones a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think the, I think the trick there again is timers, 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 and take lots of photos. You can always delete the ones you don't like. That's exactly right. 
Yep. Yeah. It isn't like the old film days. No, but well, no. half these guys have never even touched a film camera at this point. No. But, no. Uh, nowadays, uh, man, you, literally on most of these shoots, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm taking 60, 70, 100, 60 or 70 photos to get one that I really like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. So anyway, well, we'll get off the photography kick for now. But if there you, you guys get a chance to, <laughs> to look him up, his Instagram is uh, it's just Craig Temple, isn't it? Yep. At Craig Temple. At Craig Temple. And you betcha. Check, check his Instagram out like there's he's talented uh, with the lens. That's for sure. Get some ideas in there. So being up there in Alberta and having opportunities to hunt so many different species every year. Um, you know, what's your, what's your go-to, what do you look forward to the most every year? Everybody asks that question. Like yeah. everybody that talks to me, but, Oh man, Alberta, so many things. What, what's your favorite? What's your favorite? I probably have to say, I love them all, but I probably have to say moose. Um, just because when you, there's nothing that quite compares to shooting a big rutting bull moose with a bow up close and personal. Um, but once you get them down, it's like every time I walk up to them, I'm, like the bull I shot this year, that was the biggest body bull I've ever seen. It was, he was huge. And you just walk up to them and it's like, well, crap, now what? Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm on my own in here and I'm a long ways from the truck, right? Like now yeah. what? Um, so yeah, no, it's, uh, I think, I think probably moose. Um, I, I think I've shot close a dozen moose with my bow now and uh yeah they're they're a blast and our freezers i don't know we always have moose in our freezer i've never bought beef before so it's always moose elk mule deer whitetail in the freezer well so, i have and we I've, eat a lot of meat i've not had an opportunity to hunt moose as much as you i've i've taken one big bull um and it, it was the meat was spectacular yeah. Like I, out of everything that I've had, I, I think that moose is probably my favorite. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, I haven't hunted them. You know, I'm an elk guy. I, uh, something about elk hunting that really gets me, but I, I totally understand what you're talking about. You walk up on a big mature bull moose on the ground and it's prehistoric. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, you don't, you don't give it credit until it's, it's wild. Actually, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. And the the first one that I ever, or the only one that I ever shot, um, it was on a uh, bow hunter TV hunt, and okay. I had a cameraman with me, and <laughs> it was one of my first uh, uh, ever TV hunts, and I wasn't really familiar with what cameramen do and what cameramen don't, what they're responsible for and what they're not, and. Yeah. You know, to be plain and simple, I've, I've worked with some that are just like hunting with a buddy, you know, yeah. like you get something on the ground and they are in there elbow deep, helping you out with everything, including the pack yeah. out and the whole nine yards. This dude, this can this, this big bull is on the ground. I walk up and I have that moment that you're talking about, like, holy cow, what in the world am I going to do now? Yeah. And we I start in on this thing and this guy goes over and he starts shooting time lapses or something. You know, and <laughs> I kind of figured out real, a good way quick, to burn time. <laughs> real quick that he's not going to come over here and help with any of this. And, you know, I eventually got to a spot where I was like, hey, man, um, you want to come over here and hold this leg for me for just a second? And so he, oh, OK, you know, he comes over and he holds that leg 
And as soon as I got done with that one little part where I needed the leg held up, he walked right back over there to his camera and sat back down again. And I'm, I'm just like, holy crap. So I had to process that entire bull. And, you know, thank goodness we had a we had a guy on call that was going to bring horses up and pack it out. So all I had to do was get all the meat, um, yeah, get them all yeah. quartered up and get this, get the skin off of them. And I made a little meat rack in a shady spot and uh, carrying a moose hind quarter uh, or a yeah. moose front quarter. The, yeah, they're huge. The front quarter is like ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's almost as tall as you are. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's without tougher. the cut off at the knee. Oh yeah, it's it's. I've actually one of the bulls I shot a few years back. I took. I thought, man, that thing's huge. I I took a tape measure and measured from the hump on the top of his shoulder to the bottom of his front hoof. It was seven feet. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they're they're just giant. so a big bull with big antlers walking through is like close to ten feet tall. The, they're, yeah, they're huge. So yeah. The other funny that, thing that was, you know, yeah. when we when we got done with this bull, um, we were going to have to go you know, quite a ways to get coverage enough to call this meat packer in. And yeah. I, I'm talking like we were going to have to call him in the next morning. And I was telling my, uh, that, that cameraman, I was like, I'm not leaving. It was Boone Crockett bull. And I was Ooh. like, I am not leaving that head there, you know? Yeah. And, um, in, in Colorado where I shot him, uh, it was, it was, Cyrus, Cyrus moves. Um, you have to have them CWD tested. So you can't, you can't take that. You got to take the head out whole. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You can't take the antlers off and just, you know, skull cap him. Um, so I was under the impression that I was going to, you know, carry this thing with the Cape and take it back to our camp. And no way. No, like you're not doing that. No (laughs) way. You're absolutely not doing that. And no. as soon as I got, uh, as soon as I picked it up and I was like, okay, I don't have to worry about anybody coming along and taking this thing. You know no. what I mean? It's not no. going anywhere. So I left that there with the meat, but that was one of the awakenings that I had to moose hunting was like, oh, geez, it was all I could do just to get all that meat over there onto that little platform that I built and yeah. get all the meat cooled down. And thank goodness we had those guys coming in because shoot, man, you, I, I don't know how many trips it would take for a for a big mature yeah, Yukon or, or yeah for Yukon moose. moose is crazy yeah yeah we're we're Canada moose up here and I did I I backpacked one out a couple of years ago and I did it I think it took me and he wasn't even that big of a bull and I think it took me five I think I did it in five trips and that's like you're that they're heavy packs you're way over 100 pounds like they're heavy heavy packs coming out right and did, uh did you debone yeah. or, or did you leave him quartered? that was quartered cut off of the knees i find if you debone it i personally don't like deboning because it just turns into this big floppy mess of meat if you leave that um bone in there it keeps some shape yeah there's some extra weight as well right but uh it keeps it keeps the shape better and it's easier for packing carrying it's not flopping all over the place on you and, and then when i get it home i hang it up in the garage and then it and then it hangs better and ages better too right yeah but yeah if you you're talking about dealing with a moose by yourself like oh. that moose that i shot i think it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago i shot and it's like 
I'm by myself, so I got to skin. The, I do the gutless method, right? So I got to go up his back, fold back all the hide off one side, and get the quarters off, and then start cutting out all the meat and all the back straps and fillet and all that stuff, and uh, neck neck meat, and it's it is a chore. You want to take off? You want to see a challenge? You take off a hind quarter off of a moose without getting dirt on it. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I'm looking at pictures. challenge for sure looking at pictures of this bull and he is a big bull how wide is that bull uh i think he's i didn't put a square on him but i think he's 49 he's he's cool looking yeah he's, he's cool great looking. great bull i was pretty pretty pumped i yeah i had him uh i had him a little fired up he was with a cow he was with two cows and I, he wasn't coming away from them so i thought ah let's go so i put on a black hoodie and bow mounted bull moose head decoy thing and put it up grunted to him and as soon as he heard me grunt to him he just looked right at me pinned his ears back just started destroying bush and uh he stayed with the cows but i just worked up to him and he let me walk right up and he was charging back and forth and he was getting real ticked off so walked into the opening cows knew something was up but he was just he was mad enough that he caught my scent a couple times and he would run away and i'd grunt and he'd run right back to me right so he was mad enough and i i had him at one point i had him at 15 yards but the bush is so thick here all the willows and stuff can't get a shot so i had him at 15 yards there's no way you can only see the tops of his antlers yeah and then uh then he went down into an opening and 37 yards and um yeah i uh i I pinwheeled him it was it was finally a good shot i've uh <laughs> when, I, when i say finally a good shot i don't know if you saw i made a post the other day with those uh that silverback the full-on back tension release yeah um, i've struggled to target panic for many years and anyways um two weeks before season this year i was like man i don't know if i should even hunt this year like i'm gonna wound stuff so i locked all my other releases up in the drawer and i pulled out the that knock-on silverback and just started working blank bailing three yards in the garage did that did that and two days before season i was like all right time to put a sight tape on and, and go for it and my antelope and my and my moose were both perfectly executed shots like yeah watch the arrow fly it's it's pins were right where they needed to be and it, both shots both of them surprised me it was uh pretty darn good feeling right. well i <laughs> I, I was a trigger puncher from a way back <laughs> i i haven't gone to the to the true back tension full-time for hunting just yet mm-hmm. there's a couple things that about about it that scare me just a little bit they scared the but, crap out of me too but i knew i'd miss everything else uh, yeah once you're <laughs> once you're at the point where you're getting that punchy you don't have a choice you know yeah. You, you, yeah. you don't have a choice at all but um yeah. the system that i've been using for when i start to feel myself getting a little bit punchy because i feel like it happens to everybody absolutely um, does is i've <sighs> I, I'm shooting a Carter Quickie, and Carter had a true back tension called the Evolution, I think, that okay. is a, a index finger. Yeah, the, yeah, yep, yep. Index finger safety on it, so it feels it, it's a little larger bodied, but the trigger itself feels kind of like Carter Quickie. So with on, on on that one, it's similar to one of the knock-ons in that you pull the trigger with your index finger, and that's the release of the safety. And now okay. you've got to apply back tension with the trigger depressed and you've yeah. got to get to that point, you know, to however many pounds breaks, you have to yeah. set at where it breaks yeah. off. So yeah. when I start feeling myself get like that, I'll switch to where I'm practicing with that thing for a couple, three weeks straight. And then I yeah. switch back to the quickie and yeah. usually it's cured it, but it, it, there's 
it always creeps it, back. It goes through cycles. It's such it, a mental game and, and it's so frustrating. Yeah. So frustrating. It, it, it drives you crazy. It's funny because the, the cyclical nature of it is, I I haven't heard very many guys say that, but it's it's kind of like a, a guy that's in a hitting slump. You know what I mean? Right. Where yeah. it is, it is mental. And, yeah. y- you know, a lot of coaches will tell you, you just got to hit your way out of that slump. Um, no, you can't with, with a release. With if, the release if you it's continue different. with the normal, it gets worse and worse and worse. It's, it's, di- it's, it's very different. Uh, yeah. But it is cyclical like that. It's like something yes. that you seem to get over for a little while. And then all of a sudden it can creep back in on, you know, you yeah. know, sometimes I don't even like talking about it. Yeah, because yeah. I feel that guy like say, don't, don't say the word. Use the letters, but never say the word. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. But you like that one, huh? So which yeah. which bow no, are I you don't, shooting? I don't overly like the release. I just know that that's the only thing at this point. That's the only thing that I can I can fully control the situation. I can right. hold the pin on it, take my thumb off the safety, and say, "Okay, now you're in control, and you have to pull through." You have right. to pull through. I watched uh, John Dudley's things and he talks about like behind the line, you got to focus on the right hand side. If you're right-handed, it's just like focus on that, focus on that and pull through the shot. And right. uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's what's, that's, that was a the trick there uh, to answer your question. What was I using? Uh, that was the RX five. So I shot the moose and the antelope with the RX five. And that is a man. I, I didn't, I, I, li- I really liked the RX four. I really liked it. And then RX five came out. I was like, dang, how did they do it again? Right? Really? Yeah, I know this bow hunting podcast. I'm not just. I'm not just saying, like. If you've shot both bows, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's uh, it's crazy. It's funny that you say that because earlier today we just did a podcast with Zach Kurtzall, the new president. Of okay. Bow. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit about uh, uh, the new bow that's coming out. He won't tell me a dang thing about yeah. it. You know. Um, <laughs> I tried to get him to. I, I really did. Yeah. I put him on the spot, and I was afraid that he was going to say, "Ferris, <laughs> you're you're fired. You're not doing the podcast." You're fired. <laughs> but uh, and and he, I, I said, "Is there anything that you can give us on that?" Nope, not at all. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. But I told him, I was like, "Dude, I got to tell you the truth. I'm gonna have a hard time putting the RX5 down. Yeah, setting the five down. I'm gonna and the Ventum too. Time. I like the Venom too, and I started out with the Ventum." Um, and I shot my antelope with the Ventum this year. Uh, I was purposely waiting to break that RX five out when I went elk hunting and then kind of got into the mountain hunts, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is, but just the feel of that RX five. It feels so good. Yeah. Oh, it felt, it, it feels really good. It's going to be really hard to put it down. Of course they told me, uh, you ain't saying new in that. You're not going to have a hard time putting it down. And I'm like, oh, we'll, Uh, we'll we'll, see, we'll we'll see, see. we'll see about (laughs) that. You know, Uh, we'll see about that. Uh, but it is, it is super sweet, super sweet bow. Yeah. Um, what kind of arrow setup are you shooting at a big animal like a moose? What are you you change your arrow setup for moose? Yes. yes No, I usually run two setups. 
Okay. Um, I was always running FMJs before, and I loved them. Um, and then I think maybe two, 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 maybe three years ago, I switched over to the Axis. Um, and so I was shooting the five millimeter Axis last couple of years. This year, the four millimeter Axis. I thought, nah, okay, I'll try it. Lots of penetration with that micro diameter, right? Less wind drift, and and uh, so I actually went. I took a little bit of what I thought originally was a risk. I took a little bit of a risk, and I went with the four millimeter, which is lighter shaft. Um, out of the RX-5. I'm using a five millimeter for whitetail, um, but I went with a, the four millimeter and uh, um, and I went with the uh, the Sever Mechanicals, the 1.5s. And I've never shot a moose with a mechanical before or a light arrow before. And I thought, well, I got a draw this year. It was, a, I think it was like a five year wait for this moose tag. Um, so this one wasn't an over the counter one. It's, it's close to my home, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't an over the counter. So I waited for five years for this one, there's bigger bulls. And uh, anyways, when I shot that moose, um, the arrows fly great. They fly flat, um, mechanicals obviously tune really well. They fly really well. But when I hit that moose, so 37 yards, I hit him almost dead center in a rib and it cracked pretty loud but i still got i think i still got 18 inches penetration ended up getting both lungs and went through the belly meat on the far side and got held up on the hide on the other side so it works yeah <laughs> right and with yeah. a rib if you hit the shoulder you're not making it through but that's that's worst case scenario with a rib i i believe if i wouldn't have hit a rib i would have zipped right through and yeah that air would still be in the ground somewhere so uh, how heavy was that arrow total setup Oh, gee, what was that? Um, I haven't written down all over the place in my phone. Well, not over the place. I do have them written down on my phone because um, I'm kind of a, a spec guy, but my memory yeah. is really short, so I don't remember it all. Uh, that's 398 grains um, for that arrow, the four millimeter, and that was flying 301 feet per second. 398 so, grains with the broadhead? Uh, yeah. Holy smokes, that is a light arrow. You, yep. Yeah, so 398 grains with a 4 millimeter, and that's 301 feet per second at 28-inch draw and 70 pounds out of the RX-5. And then uh, my Venta, I'm shooting 5 millimeter axis shafts, uh, 472 grains with a 100-grain broadhead on that, and that's 277 feet per second. So wow. both of them are clipping along, and yeah. Right, and you, you shot the moose with that lighter arrow setup. You betcha. Let it rip. Wow. If you hit them in the right spot, they're dead. Hit them in the right spot. Yeah, I, I'd, yeah. I'd be, I'll, I'll level with you, Craig. I'd be spooked about doing yeah. that. But you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. You avoid that shoulder, yeah, it, and you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you, if you hit him even in the shoulder with a uh, fixed blade and a heavy arrow, you're not making it through no, the shoulder. No, there's no way. No. Yeah, no. you'll make it through a whitetail shoulder maybe if you're lucky, and you don't hit that that one vertical ridge that rides along the scapula. Right. Right. Well. With the but. right setup, you'll punch through on a whitetail too, but uh, not on mm -hmm. moose. Moose, nope. or, no. moose or another another story altogether. So what's yeah. what's next for you this year? Like uh, you you've got your antelope, you got your moose. What 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 else have you taken here recently? Did you take an elk? That's it. Recently? That's it for nope. No, that's, uh, that's, uh, hopefully next week. So I'll be leaving Friday and I'll be gone for, uh, I'll do nine days. I'm going for elk and mule deer right and on. take truck and trailer and travel all over the province of Alberta and hopefully find an elk in the second estrus and uh, second rut there and yeah. uh, mule deer spot and stock and, uh, in Southern Alberta and then come home for November and have two whitetail tags. And I've got some, uh, some pretty decent whitetails here at home that are, uh, 
Yeah. On camera, I'm just sort of waiting for those November tags to kick in and yeah. the the, uh, the rut and scrapes and all that fun stuff. So um, should be should be some good stuff coming here in November. So for that anyway. Well, that's cool, man. Well, um, mm-hmm. man, I appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, we're we're about at the end of it. And um, I'll tell you what it like I said earlier, if you want to find Craig, it's Craig Temple at Craig Temple on Instagram. He's got a really cool Instagram page uh super sweet we appreciate you coming on and uh we'll have to do it again sometime soon man i'll follow up and see yeah. how you did on the rest of these tags uh um, yeah, there we go you know and i i kind of forgot to ask you um but and and we can go into this next time we talk on the podcast but uh, you know i was looking for tips for guys from down here in yankee land that want to uh-huh. go up there to alberta i i know that there's some rules that are different up there um but you know where they can start looking and and how yeah. to kind of go down that path uh you because either make friends with either make friends with a canadian and he can host you or else it's through a guide there's no uh there's no coming just coming right. up it's and not DIY. that's what i meant nope. by those nope. by those rules but we can we can nope. go into some of that yeah, dig the, into that another time on the next one man something good for us yeah, to talk about in the future but i sure appreciate it man hope awesome. everybody enjoyed it and uh we'll see you next time Awesome. Thanks, Danny.